Support for this episode of 9 to Thrive HR is brought to you by the Predictive Index, serving more than 8,000 clients across 142 countries and delivering solutions in 70 languages. The Predictive Index is a simple methodology that allows businesses to understand what drives their people so they can take them where they want to go. Visit www.predictiveindex.com to learn how to select, hire, and onboard the best-fitting talent, increase employee engagement, develop teams, discover high potentials, and much, much more. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of 9 to Thrive HR, a podcast produced by HCI where we discuss some of the most pressing issues facing talent management today, help surface ideas and solutions to those problems by speaking to experts and practitioners in the field. My name is Andrew Bateman. I'm your host for today. I'm joined by Jeff Gross, CEO of MyPeoplePlan.com. So let's get started with a little bit more about Jeff. Jeff, thanks for being here. If you could just talk a little bit about yourself and about My People Plan, that would be a great way to kick us off today. Um, sure. Thank you, Andrew. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pleasure to uh, spend some time with you again. So, uh, yeah, My People Plan uh, is, you know, our consulting firm that is uh, also a software tool for strategic human capital planning. And I've written books on uh, Workforce planning, a couple of them called Workforce Planning 90 Day Action Plan books. I've uh, got another book coming out, Workforce Planning 2020. So, have spent probably the last two decades in studying what makes uh, companies successful from a variety of uh, venues. And it ultimately led in 2009 to doing a real deep dive into workforce planning and ultimately. What we like to always talk about is human capital planning from a strategic perspective. So it's it's a space that I love. It's a space that is constantly challenging and and evolving. And it's one that is, in our uh, estimation, probably one of the greatest opportunities for HR to partner in business environments and bring a really great value-added strategic imperative for any company that you're in. And uh, I, I always love it when you can make an improvement and uh, the talent being the, the place that we feel you can do that the easiest. Um, and it's not easy, of course, but it's a place that uh, I think is a great opportunity for every company. So, so Jeff, I think uh, I really appreciate that context and, and I would love a, a little bit more, especially from someone with your background. If you could describe to our listeners in some way, and uh, uh, some of the signals that their organization uh, might need workforce planning. I, I keep going back to thinking of some of that old, uh, like Jeff Foxworthy routine. Like it, you know, if, if you are having trouble hiring new management uh, and it's taking six months, you might need workforce planning. Do you have any uh, things that people mm-hmm. might be able to uh, look out for uh, as it relates to, hey, you might need workforce planning? Sure, that's, uh, that's that's good. I love the the Jeff Foxworthy stuff. So, how I would look at it, Andrew, is uh, you know, really, uh, if you are in any type of business that has competition, you workforce planning. Uh, so basically, if you're if you're in government, you probably don't don't need it as as much. Or if you have a total monopoly, you probably don't need it as much either. But otherwise, everybody else will need it, uh, and they need it in different circumstances. So what I like to do to take the spinoff of the Jeff Foxworthy direction that you mentioned is I like to look at what are the questions that are being asked 
uh, around the water cooler, if you will, at your company. And if if you think of some of the questions could be maybe around, well, you know, complaints about we have too much turnover or, um, you know, there's a lot of retirements going on and, you know, what are we going to do to fill those retirements? Uh, those would be legitimate questions and they happen all the time. And how those apply to workforce planning is those are spaces that companies will do workforce planning. However, that really is, that's the bottom rung on the ladder of the workforce planning hierarchy, if you want to think of it that way. Because more interesting questions that come out of companies are, why are we downsizing? Or why are we going through another reorganization? And why are we going through layoffs? Those questions really point to what I would call a misalignment between the strategy and the workforce. So possibly a great clue would have been prior to those situations happening is what what was uh, an instance that possibly you could have had a better alignment with your workforce. And then if I look at really dramatic situations that are occurring, companies will be asked, well, why, what happened? Why did you go out of business? And obviously one of the biggest ones that we hear recently is Yahoo. And why did Yahoo miss the evolution and the changes within the marketplace? Well, that really does tie back to strategic human capital planning because the assumption is going to be if we had all of the right people in the right place to execute the strategy the way it was, that uh, if the strategy was flawed, then that may be an issue, but there would be some kind of uh, reconnection. Um, So in a human capital perspective, we like to look at from a positive view as well. Uh, not just the negative side. So from a positive view, what I would suggest is some of the questions might be coming around uh, your water cooler would be, hey, we've got a new territory opening up or we just merged with another company. Well, who are the individuals and what are the skills and talent and the competencies that we will need in this new look? Or we have a brand new business that we're launching or we're heading off into a dramatically different type of way of executing our business. Maybe we're competing against price instead of quality. So every one of those instances, as those occur in your company, those are legitimate openings for a better workforce planning scenario. So hopefully that kind of touches on it, but uh, you know, it covers all realms of talent when you start to look at human capital planning. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I know HCI definitely feels that way. Uh, and so many of our uh, our members are sort of on that uh, forefront of, uh, of about to get more serious about doing workforce planning in a more strategic way. Um, and for those folks that are just getting started, I'm sure that a lot of their, uh, a lot of their time is spent sort of uh, you know, taking the, the the roadblocks out of the way. And so um, they'd probably appreciate uh, an opportunity to sort of forecast what those might have been. So is there any uh, sort of a list or just, a, a, you know, a couple of things that you might touch on here today of those potential roadblocks that kind of threaten to derail uh, a well-intentioned workforce plan? Sure. That's that's a great question, Andrew, uh, that we've spent a lot of time studying as well, because obviously when you, you, you're involved in, in putting in workforce planning, uh, you want to see what are, the, what are the challenges going to be. 
And, you know, what I, I try to do is uh, simplify things. So I've got a, a pretty simple set of four C's. In a, they're called complexity, competencies, constraints, and competition. So those four C's are basically the hallmark of a really great workforce planning program. And when I look at complexity, I'm looking at how, how complex is the organization that, uh, that the company is doing by levels and by organizational structure. Uh, when I look at competencies, I look at what are the different competencies necessary to drive that particular business um, uh, execution of the strategy. I'm looking at constraints. In that case, I'm really looking at what is our bench strength match up against the specific needs. And when I'm looking at the competition, uh, I'm trying to forecast, you know, what are, what are the directions that, uh, that the other external forces that are coming against us. And when I take each one of those and I start to look at them just, you know, very, very quickly, um, I want to have within my workforce planning uh, scenario and platform is I want to have champions within, if it's a very complex situation, complex business unit, I want to have champions, and those champions are ultimately going to be uh, the business leaders and the business owners. So if you look at, the, there's been a number of studies done in, by different organizations that will show when the strategic workforce plan is run and owned by the business, in other words, it's decentralized, not centralized, decentralized, that the uh, the return on investment is probably five to six times uh, that it would be if you had it centralized. So you want to have a champion. You want to have it in, owned by the business. And you want to be able to support that business as a unique entity of having its own strategic human capital plan. So to simplify what I just said, is if you have four regions, for instance, throughout the U.S., and each one of those regions has its own business unit, each one of those businesses should have its own strategic human capital plan. If it doesn't, uh, and it's dependent on a centralized plan, then the centralized plans don't work that well. So um, a quick you know, step through a couple of other barriers is making sure that you have the right model and the right model that uh, fits for your company. Uh, I always tell somebody, you know, don't don't force yourself to eat peas if you don't like peas, but you should and just eat them because that's something that's nutritious for you. You should do what is right for your company. So you want to take a quick snapshot, and the snapshot would be a great and easy way to do it by a poll or by a survey within your company to see what are the business challenges, what are the competencies needed, and what are the roles needed to execute those business uh, those business strategies. So if you do hit some roadblocks, and I'll, and I'll tell you a couple of them that, that come up quite frequently, uh, they end up being political issues within a company. So political pockets of power that people don't want to do things, they're against change. If you're trying to just create a brand new program, it's going to be different than if you're sustaining a program. So if you're trying to create a program, there are going to be people that'll be against the flavor of the month, you know, they'll be, you know, downers. They won't give you a budget. They'll say you don't have enough money to do this. So you have to be prepared to bootstrap the program if it's brand new. You just have to figure out a way to get it done. You have to be kind of an evangelist and go out and get knowledge. So knowledge, 
will always help you sell an internal program if it's a brand new one. If you're sustaining one, it's going to be a little bit different. What you're going to have to look for is wins. You're going to have to show a way that, you know, one of the businesses really did something that was really well done and they had the talent in the right spot to be able to execute that strategy. Uh, I had a conversation not that long ago with a, a top executive in a company. And um, company's been around a long time, household name. You would find uh, surprising when this individual told me, he said, I'm shocked at how badly we plan. Every single year we miss our operating plan by you know, 15 to 20%, we have to go back and recalculate and wonder why did we not do that well. So it's not unusual that plans are not hit, but what he had to do is he had to go back and recalibrate and do it over and over again. So be prepared, it's an uphill battle, but you can do it. So another thing that, uh, that comes to mind for us at HCI, and it's very topical now as we're beginning some research in this area, trying to get a sense of, uh, of what's out there, but what, what does a workforce planning team uh, look like? Who are the, who are the people um, involved, the, the key role players, the important stakeholders, and really what skills do they need to have in order to be successful? And you, you mentioned some of them in your previous answer when you talked about being a, an evangelist mm-hmm. uh, and a, a good communicator of the results. So um, in in a sort of a preview of our upcoming research, is there anything that you might add uh, to this discussion about what uh, who's on a, a workforce planning team or as we've sort of called it a data squad here at HCI? What, what are the components and, and who are the folks and what are the skills? Sure, Andrew. So if you, if you take a look at I see a lot of parallels between where workforce planning is today and where I would call it the total quality movement was back probably a couple decades ago when, uh, when W. Edwards Deming was trying to get that launched. So you, you literally didn't have anybody. So you're drafting people out of different parts of the organization. And that's been occurring, I would say, the past five to seven years. Uh, companies have been drafting people out of either IT, out of finance, they've been drafting project leaders, people that uh, basically know the organization and secondly have some kind of unique functional skill set. And that functional skill set uh, in today's world is, is mostly coming up out of data. So people that understand data or people that understand software uh, tools, things like that, because everything uh, today is driven off of either massive spreadsheets uh, if they don't have some uh, some tool that's uniquely developed for workforce planning uh, or some homegrown uh, product. So that will always necessitate somebody from the IT organization. So if I looked at a task force, there's going to be somebody from the IT organization. There's going to be somebody from finance that's tied into it because they want to understand how to, you know, how do the dollars uh, shift within the uh, within the organization, and of course, there's always somebody that comes in from HR. Um, and then, if I jump uh, fast forward a little bit, just like they did in TQM, all of a sudden you started to find specialists. So there, there are titles out there today that are uh, of senior workforce planning lead and. Uh, vice president of workforce planning, vice president of workforce planning and human capital analytics. So there's all kinds of titles. Uh, there aren't really um, uh, education behind it unless you're going to certifications. Uh, some of the programs like HCI has, of course, but um, you know there are books to be read. There are conferences. 
but uh, candidly, there aren't that many. And uh, even if I look at some of the uh, the other certification environments, like the PHR and SPHR that the, the HR teams uh, get, there's uh, a component within that, there's a subset within it that is workforce planning. So when you go through those certifications, you do get a smattering of doing workforce planning. Um, but ultimately, I'm gonna go back to my uh, my comment that I just had was, this has to be owned by the business. So, uh, for instance, a key stakeholder is the business, the business unit, and that business unit person is uh, hopefully going to be somebody that's a general manager at that level. So, if I looked uh, across uh, cross stream, I would see somebody, you know, from different uh, functional areas within the organization, and then and then I would also see the business owner, and that would be a relatively decent size organization. If I went smaller. Um, or even privately held family-owned businesses, those ultimately are going to be, you know, probably the president uh, of the company uh, could be the one that had, that heads it up. The, the whole issue is uh, around workforce planning, and I'll kind of, you know, get this kind of, uh, you know, way of looking at it is risk avoidance. So what we want to do is is do the best we possibly can and lower our, our level of risk. So the better the team is, the more they uh, highly they function, um, the better it, the better the team will, will be in delivering the workforce planning process uh, that you're looking for. But at the end of the day, these are typically add-on jobs. They're not necessarily uh, functionally paid jobs. They're not headcount jobs. So people do them um, on top of their, their regular workday. Uh, so, you know, what I always suggest is those become rotational assignments then and you, you don't have somebody that's tied into it uh, as an expert necessarily, but people move in and out, and it's a growth opportunity, and it's a really great opportunity to get, uh, to get exposure within a company because you see talent from a different perspective. I love that suggestion, Jeff. I think that's a great uh, way to make practical use of, uh, of, uh, of the talent that you have in-house uh, and, of course, develop it uh, in a way that uh, is tied to the business and tied to the talent strategy and kind of checks off all the boxes in terms of uh, some of the HCI core values and philosophies around uh, human capital management. So I mm -hmm. think that's just a fantastic uh, uh, proposal. I think the other thing that that does is allows for some of the skills that are developed or even the insights that um, come out of, uh, of a rotational assignment in a workforce planning uh, task force is the ability to, like you said, to look at talent from a different perspective. And so do you have any examples of how the insights that come out of workforce planning and analytics can really make hay in other areas of talent management? Uh, absolutely. In fact, uh, it, it almost seems like a setup because you're um, you're you're hitting one of our sweet spots. That when I did a global benchmark study in 2009 and 2010, I asked. Uh, uh, over 200 companies, almost that very uh, phrase is, if you have workforce planning, tell me how did it impact these other areas within your organization? And invariably across the board, when I looked at areas including succession planning, um, performance management, you know, talent acquisition, um, looking at how companies would do their training and development, when I looked at all of those areas, so the LMS uh, programs, when I looked at all of those, every single one of, oh, and including competencies and, and succession planning, uh, when I looked at every single one of those, the 
companies that had a robust workforce planning uh, process in place found that those programs improved. And they improved in uh, in pretty significant ways, um, probably by you know a fold of uh, two to three, uh, anyway, in some of the studies that we did. And so what ends ends up happening is the workforce planning is not a subset of a subset of a, of, a, of a unit area. What it becomes is the overarching umbrella. And so hopefully this will will be at least intuitive to the audience as you think about it is the programs that I just mentioned are uh, owned by HR and embedded uh, into the business. And yet there's uh, kind of a center of excellence for those programs. And if you turn it around, my what I've been advocating for the workforce planning is that it's owned by the business. So if you start by saying, okay, the business owns the workforce planning, they're telling you you know, the skills that they need, the competencies that they need, because they're totally in touch with what their business strategy uh, challenges are, then how you look at what we're gonna do to deliver your training, how we're gonna look at succession planning, uh, how we're gonna look at areas in, uh, in performance management, all of those will reflect what is needed in the strategic human capital plan instead of doing it the other way around. Uh, so that, you know, those outcomes, all of those programs will get better. They'll get stronger, they'll be more targeted, uh, you're going to see improvements within the organization. And, you know, there's a couple of hallmark companies that I always like to talk about. And one of them is Apple and the other one's Google. And if you look at the way those organizations do what I was just sharing with you, um, you can see some great examples. You do not see major downsizings and layoffs in Apple and Google, yet they are just as competitive as any other company. I mean, why is Nokia where it is today? Why is Yahoo where it is today? You know, obviously they didn't do something right. But if you turn around and look at what Apple and Google have done, you know, those are the hallmark and benchmark companies you want to look at. So lastly, I want to wrap things up by talking a little bit about uh, again what we what we focused on in our uh, in our previous webcast uh, about sort of job requirements and uh, some of the things that organizations are really already doing, and, and uh, namely. Uh, the collection of assessment data. And so I would love to get your take um, for this podcast if you could share with us what are some of the practical applications for assessment data when it comes to applying uh, that source of information to a workforce plan. Sure, that's, um, that's, a, great, that's a great question. So the, uh, the, the ways and areas of using assessment, you know, often will be... Um, taking a look at uh, differentiators within uh, the individual and the individual talent. Um, the way I really like to consider assessments is once you've done your human capital plan and you've identified uh, competencies, uh, competencies should be able to differentiate between high and low performers. And an assessment, um, and there's a variety of uh, ways of doing your assessment tools. It could be online assessments. Um, it could be uh, assessment centers, which are really great, realistic job previews. Um, but assessments should be able to help you fine-tune the individual on who is most qualified for a specific role. And we didn't get into that a lot, but 
role-based uh, workforce planning is is a great way of looking at how you can use assessments because uh, you are taking the person out of it and you're just looking at what unique aspects of that role are going to be most important for that particular uh, achieving that strategy. Uh, and assessments uh, are great tools to be able to do that. So if you kind of divide it up, you've got what the role would need regarding oh, certifications and credentials and experience. And then the assessment will help uh, on breaking down some of those soft skill areas and often fit uh, that can be you know, a little, little bit over digested sometimes, but uh, the word fit can be attached to the soft skill areas. And usually an assessment will help you um, determine which person is gonna be the stronger fit. And invariably, the, the ones that um, are most uh, individuals that don't do well in a company uh, are ones that have uh, not been assessed well for fit, and, uh, and and they just don't they don't do well within that particular role, even though they might have been qualified with uh, different skills and other attributes. So, Jeff, lastly, I would just uh, love it if you could reiterate a little bit. We talked up front a lot about some of the roadblocks and some of the telltale signs that you're in need of a workforce plan. And I know that you mentioned this a little bit, but I, I would appreciate just a, a, a reminder and uh, an opportunity for you to kind of hammer it home. What are some of the uh, secrets to a sustainable workforce plan? Yeah, so secret sauce. What's the secret sauce in, in sustaining a workforce plan? Uh, you know, it's it's kind of interesting because I, I, I actually this this hit me when I saw this quote today um, that was that was from the Wall Street Journal, and it was actually a quote from Lou Gerstner, who was a former CEO of IBM, and he was commenting on the recent Wells Fargo bank scandal, and what he talked about is consistencies and inconsistencies. Consistencies between what you claim to do and what you actually do. And he, he made the comment that it's a common vocabulary that does not uh, necessarily become a common behavior. So within a workforce planning, what I want you to do is I want you to think about is this is not uh, a movement. This is a way of life. And when I, when I see some of the stuff that uh, W. Edwards Deming had to go through to get TQM into American industry, uh, it was a long, it was long haul for him. But once companies begin to adopt this, and if your company can pick it up and begin to work through the correct models, not not the old models, but the correct models of how you're going to do your role-based workforce planning tied to competencies, uh, you know, you just have to keep after it, and you you cannot let it become a flavor of the month. You can't let it become a movement. It has to become a way of life. The only way to sustain it uh, really is to think transformation. And if you do that, I think you're going you're gonna to be on the right path. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. We really, truly appreciate you taking the time to share with us today. You're welcome. Thank you, Andrew, for asking. We'd also like to thank each and every one of you for tuning in and encourage you to subscribe to this podcast if you enjoy what you've heard today. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Smart Radio, and on the YouTube channel, HCI Talent. Lastly, one more big thank you to the Predictive Index. Without their generous support, HCI would not be able to deliver great content like this. 
and I'll encourage everybody who is interested in learning more about workforce planning, you can find resources at hci.org. For 9 to Thrive HR and all of HCI, I'm Andrew Bateman.